You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you're a college student, welcome. Welcome back. Seriously, we're so glad. We're so honored that you're here. Uh, if you're a Jesus School student, welcome to our church family. Excited to meet all of the new Jesus School students as well. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. I love the beginnings of new school years. Uh, it's just that time in our city where there's so much um, life change and new friendships, new relationships, new community, and it gets me excited. It never gets old. Um, I love it. I want us to, this is a book of the Bible the Lord's just been highlighting to me over the last number of months, and so I want us to look at this this morning in the next number of weeks. First John, um, this is a letter that the Apostle John wrote, and it was written a lot later than many of the other books that we have in the New Testament. So I think the context is extremely relevant to us in this hour, in, this, in our generation. Um, John, the Apostle John wrote this letter at a time when honestly the church was not experiencing a whole lot of persecution. There was quite a, quite a bit of safety under the Roman government at this time. This is like AD 90. So if you think of a lot of the other letters being written, 60s and 70s, this is a number of, uh, a number of years later than that. And, and John is writing to a time in the church when devotion to the Lord, like pure devotion that is honestly tested through the fire, that sort of devotion is beginning to wane. And there are many voices within the church. So if, if persecution doesn't exist, the other forms of attack that the enemy plants within the church is attacks aimed at the person of Christ. And so we see at this time uh, that, that the Apostle John is writing, he's, he's writing to a time when people are beginning to question, or at least spoke, uh, stoke questioning in the hearts of believers uh, that they can maybe change the gospel to be something altogether different. And there's kind of two points of attack. One is an attack on the, the, the centrality of the cross of Christ, and another is the incarnation. These two things that if we, if we get rid of the cross of Christ, or if we get rid of the seemingly foolishness of the incarnation, maybe Christianity, Christianity will be more acceptable by society. Maybe people will be more accepting of Christianity. You know, a religion of good morality and um, of a, a respectable teacher, like, like uh, the historical figure of Jesus, maybe then, maybe then more people would would flock to Christianity, and these voices began to, to spark up all, all across the, um, the ancient world of, of this time. And so the Apostle John, this one of whom walked with Jesus, sat with Jesus, sat at his feet, Jesus washed his feet, the one who saw the resurrected Christ, who saw the, the wounds in his hands, he is the one who writes this letter with a fiery conviction of the true and real Jesus Christ. And, um, and that's the essence of our faith. Without that, we don't have a faith. Then we have a religion, which is hollow and empty and void of any power. And so that's why Paul is writing with so much zeal, so much boldness and so much passion, because everything hinges on, on the person of Christ and specifically the fact that God really did come in the form of a man. He really came in the flesh and he really died on a cross. 
And what is foolishness to the flesh, foolishness to the world is the very power that saves us. Amen. So I want us to look at this. You can, if you're taking notes, you can title this message, Jesus, Jesus, our invitation. Jesus is our invitation to a life that God designed for us, a life that is both eternal, but in this life is, is the only source of, of joy and fullness and uh, John 10, 10, Jesus, Jesus himself said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give life and life abundantly. He is pointing to eternal life, but Jesus is also talking about the abundance of life in relationship with him that he offers to us uh, with him, through him. So, so I want us to look at Jesus as our invitation this morning in 1 John chapter 1. Let's just pray before we open up God's word. Lord, you are evidently here. It's been so clear this morning, your presence. We thank you for that. Maybe we ne- may we never take that for granted. May we never treat that as a little thing. Lord, that is, that's everything to us. You are our everything. So Spirit of God, would you make your word cut into our hearts and Allow us to see things rightly. God, would you, as author and perfecter of our faith, build up our faith this morning. Those that are, feel like they're on the outside looking in, Lord, I pray, seeds of faith in their heart. Those that are seekers, and they're beginning to seek after you. God, stir up true faith as they see you clearly. Those saints that have walked with you for years, would you be the author and the perfecter of their faith once again this morning as they give you their faith-filled yes in response to the invitation from heaven. It's our prayer, Lord, in your mighty name, amen. So Jesus, our invitation, let's read this, First John chapter one. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that your joy may be complete. So he lays out his intentions right at the beginning. His apostolic prayer and intention in writing this letter is that their joy may be complete. They may grow into the fullness of abundant life that Christ intended for them. And what was the source of that joy? It was relationship, or what he, how he said it, uh, the word he, he used was fellowship. It's the word that we translated into English, fellowship with God. He also said fellowship with others. So if we have fellowship with God, our hearts are at peace with God. As uh, a number of individuals this morning got right this morning, we praise the Lord for that. There's nothing like our hearts being at peace with our creator. When we lay our heads on our pillow at night, we know we're at peace with our Father, our Creator. 
the one who stamped eternity, eternity upon our heart. There's nothing like it. He said, from that place of being in right relationship with God and having fellowship with God, we can have fellowship with others. And you really can't have one without the other. Jesus said it that same way. He said the summary of the law and the prophets was that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is, is very much like it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, uh, you know, a religion that's devoid of love for others is really just religion in theory. There's, there's no tangible reality to it. There's no substance to that sort of religion. And a religion that's devoid of any personal relationship with God is, is a shallow humanism. So you have to have both. You have to have both right relationship and friendship with God and then also actual relationship that's fleshed out with other people. Otherwise, we're just playing games. And so John lays that out very clearly. And that is the source of joy. And that's what he's after. His, his entire intention in this book that we'll unpack in the, the, the weeks to come is that joy, that joy to be stoked in the hearts of believers, true joy. And, if, and that's what's at stake. If we water down the person of Jesus, we, we will have joy stolen from our lives because all power in the gospel is then sapped out of it, is sucked out of it. You have to have the exalted Christ in his fullness there for there to be any power that actually translates to our life Monday through Saturday, outside of a Sunday morning, right? has to be the exalted person of Jesus Christ. And, and so he says this, this eternal one stepped down into, into history and into humanity. That one I was with and I, I touched him. I saw him with my eyes. He says, I, I want to I proclaim that to you. And that's what he will expound on in the chapters that follow. He says that word of life, that word of life that was made manifest. I, I call this word of life the invitation from heaven. The invitation from God himself to us, the person of Jesus Christ. John calls it the word of life. And I see so much packed in to those three words, word of life. You think Paul now, or John here in, later in his years, some of his brothers in Christ, fellow disciples, have given their life for the gospel. He's seen the church rise, and he's seen the church begin to decline. You can, you can sense in his heart this like, summary of all of these descriptors of the person of Jesus in those three words, word of life. And I want to unpack that for you this morning. I believe John, being that he walked with Christ, he lived with Christ, he, he touched him with his own hands, had a, had a great depth of insight into the life that Christ invited us into. And I wanna unpack that to you this morning. I think there's several descriptors. This is not an exhaustive list, but I believe there's, there's eight descriptors of the word of life that I want to convey to you this morning that I feel like are found throughout the New Testament. And I'm not saying John explicitly meant when he said word of life, but, but John as apostle and one who was so familiar with the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of the early church and the apostle would have had in his mind's eye when he, when he conveyed this word of life made manifest in the person of Jesus. And so the first descriptor of the word of life is the word of God. 
the word of God. This is the word not from man or from humanity, but from God himself. This is one of the most common descriptors of the revelation of what God is like. It's the word of God. So this word of life is the word of God. And let us never uh, get that construed. We're not learning, we're not, we're not receiving words of man, but words from God himself. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He didn't speak on his own authority. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He spoke by the authority the Father placed upon his life. This is the word of God. And it's that word from God that transforms our life. Not a word from a man, not a word from me, not a word from your favorite voice online. It's a word of God that transforms our life and realigns us for the purposes of God and what he designed us for, which is joy, that our joy would be complete. In Hebrews chapter four, we, we read this a couple months ago. It says the word of God is like a, two, a, a double-edged sword that pierces into our hearts. It's living and active. That's the word of God. It comes from that the divine heavenly place from God himself. The second descriptor of this word of life is the word of the Lord. We find this throughout the book of Acts. This is actually a one of the favorite ways they, they refer to the, to the word is the word of the Lord. This is, this is referring to ones who honestly walked with Jesus as Lord. And this is, they, they would oftentimes give Jesus that title, a title as Lord, like master as king. And so if we, if we wanna receive this invitation from the word of life, we also have to receive this invitation from the Lord, from the master, from the king, and submit our hearts to the Lord himself. It's the word of the Lord. Third is the word of the kingdom. You find this in Matthew chapter 13. If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and then the enemy comes and snatches it away, Jesus uses that that descriptor of the word of the kingdom in the parable of the sower. So it's the word of the kingdom. This is a word from a kingdom, not of this world. Uh, A culture and an ethos and a a value system that is not like the value systems of this world. It's It's a kingdom. And let that stoke some purpose in your heart. If you are bored in your Christianity, if you're Honestly, if you're, if you're struggling with depression, respond to the invitation from the Lord, which is a word of the kingdom. It's a, it's a word from a kingdom that stokes eternal purpose upon your life. There's no reason for us to be bored in Christianity because we've received a word of the kingdom. And in this kingdom, we have an inheritance, we have a purpose. You're not meant to sit on the sidelines you're not lesser than your brother or your sister in Christ. You are called in to the game. What's, what, what good news is that? Amen? You have a purpose upon your life. I, I'm, I'm finding so many people reaching out because they're, they're struggling with depression and a sense of despair, a sense of hopelessness. This is the answer. The answer is a revelation of the kingdom upon your life. You have an eternal purpose upon you. Every single day you have a reason to wake up because you have the, the one who's gonna give you an assignment. You have the one who, who has an agenda for you. 
And what, what, what better news than that, amen? I want, us to, I want to actually want to pray that of you. I have many other things I want to share about this word of life, but being that so many people are struggling with depression and a sense of hopelessness, I want a revelation of the kingdom to come upon hearts. So Lord, I pray upon your people that they would receive a word of the kingdom. That's how, you, those, are, those are letters in red, Jesus, from Matthew 13. You, you described this invitation from heaven as a word of the kingdom. So God, any individual who's struggling with depression, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, a sense of why am I here? Would anybody notice if I'm gone? What's my reason for living? Would you, King Jesus, come? Give them this invitation into a kingdom. Put a purpose upon their life. You've given them an inheritance. You've given them a place in this kingdom to participate and co-labor with you. So God, would you do it in this day? Would you do it today? In your precious name, amen. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the word of God. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the kingdom. Fourth is the word of grace. Acts chapter 14, verse three. This is actually on the screen. Can you put that up there? Acts chapter 14, verse three. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So there's the word of grace that was imparted to the church, the early church in Acts chapter 14, for them to perform signs and wonders, to actually have something tangible to give to a world that desperately needed it. That's the invitation that's given to us. In this word of life, it's a word of grace. We experienced that this morning. Newness of life, mercy, the compassion of the Lord, and that's what we offer the world. But we can't offer the world what we ourselves haven't first received. So you have to receive the grace of the Lord for yourself, then you actually have something to give to the world. So you have to receive that invitation from heaven, that word of grace spoken over you from the Father, and then you can freely give it to the world around you. Give that word of grace and praise God that it's accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. I pray that that would only increase in our day. Amen? Fifth is this, the word of salvation. This is a common descriptor in the New Testament of this invitation from heaven, of this word of life. It's the word of salvation. That God comes and saves. He saves us ultimately from the enemy. He saves us from an eternity separated from him. He saves us from ourselves, right? And he sets us free. That's such good news, and that's, that's a message that gets downplayed in our modern age. The Lord saves us for something and from a whole slew of bondages and brokenness that, that hound us and try to shackle us over a lifetime. The Lord saves us from those things. That's the word of salvation. That's the invitation from the Lord. Six is this, is the word of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter one. It says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those, that are, for those of us who are being saved, it's, it's everything. 
It's the power of God. Amen? So it's the word of the cross. I can guarantee you that the apostle John had a vision of crucified Christ when he talked about the word of life. This one in whom, because he said he saw him, he touched him. For him, that, he was contending for a revelation of the crucified Christ in the church in that hour, and that's his living prayer to this day, is that the church would have a vision of the word of the cross. We'd receive that invitation, and we cannot have a Christianity any other way. So you, you cannot avoid the cross, otherwise you don't have Christianity. That's uncomfortable, I know. The idea that God himself would come and surrender himself on a cross. It looks like defeat. But obviously we know the other side of the cross. We know he rose from the dead. So it's actually the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God that he would come and lay himself willingly down for our, on our behalf to be the substitute. That's the justice of God, it's the love of God, and that's the word of the cross. Seven is this, it's the word of truth. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says, the beginning of his letter to the church in Ephesus. He calls the gospel of salvation the word of truth. So this is a word you can base your life on. That's why it's the source of joy. That's why it's the source of purpose. That's why it transforms everything for your life, not just where you go on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, because it's actually truth. And for you, if it's not truth yet, then you shouldn't base your life on it. But when the word of truth intersects your life, when the word of truth pierces your heart, then it means everything. Then you can base your life on it. Then it becomes more real to you than the ground you walk on. It's the word of truth. And Paul said that in Ephesians chapter one, that, that word of truth, that you believed in it and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Eight, the final invitation from heaven of this word of life is the word of righteousness. In Hebrews chapter five, the writer of Hebrews describes this invitation from heaven as the word of righteousness. In that context, he's actually talking about us being matured into the likeness of Christ. So it's this word of righteousness that's actually forming us into right living, which is Christianity. Christianity is not just a prayer we pray. It's not just affiliation with a church family. It is a life with Jesus that's forming us into something. And that's what the word of righteousness is. The word of righteousness is the word from heaven that we can live differently. That there's a better way. That there's a right way. And we want to submit ourselves to that and lean on Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. That's the word of righteousness. That's the invitation of heaven. And I wanted to really kick off this school year and all of the Lord, I believe, is doing right now by responding to the invitation from heaven to this word of life. Would you all stand in this place? I want, to I want us to respond to the Lord. I just want to end by pointing us to a passage. 
in Matthew 22. The invitation has been given over the last 2,000 years. The invitation has been given and is continuing to be given. The Lord is so relentless in his love that he is extending this invitation for us and to us that we would step into a life with the Lord and experience what he created for, created us for. And in Matthew 22, Jesus gives us this picture of this hour that we live, this hour where the, the invitation is being given. And he describes it like preparations for a wedding feast. And this wedding feast, the invitations have been given out and it's like the, the first round of invitations have been rejected. And so the king's like response to that, to that rejection is pretty amazing. And it's a reflection of the Lord's love and relentless love towards us and patience with us. He says, go out. They, they, they may have rejected me, but go out into the highways and the byways, the back alleys, go into the neighborhoods, compel them to come in. I don't care where they come from, who they are, rich and poor, and the rejected and the outcast, the sick, invite them to come in. And he makes this declaration that the wedding feast will be filled. I mean, what a bold declaration for us. The invitation from heaven is being given out. And so some of us, and we've talked about this in prior weeks, we think the Lord is so slow in accomplishing his purposes. And we watch the world around us and it seems chaotic, it seems crazy, it seems like, when is, when is any of this stuff gonna get fulfilled? And what we regard as slowness, the Lord sees his patience. And the Lord is inviting people to himself. He's so relentless. And his declaration over us is the wedding feast will be filled. So with or without you, the wedding feast will be filled. I believe the Lord wants to do something in this house and over each one of our individual lives in the school year ahead that is significant. It's gonna be marked by transformation. It's gonna be marked by significant joy that means something for our lives means something to our witness to the world and I want us to respond to the Lord. So we do that very thing, Lord. We respond to the invitation from heaven. It's not an invitation from man, it's an invitation from God himself. It's, it's an invitation from our master and Lord. It's an invitation from a kingdom not of this world. It's an invitation of salvation which means something for our transformation and our freedom and liberty. It's, a, it's an invitation of truth, an invitation of grace, an invitation of righteousness. And God, would we respond this morning, pour out your grace upon this place to respond to the word of life, to respond to the word of life This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.